Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. Our show in New England is an extension of a program that I did for many years in Hawaii. Today we reach back into the vault and I've got a special one for you. Open your heart. Hear what the Lord has to say to you today. How does a native of Massachusetts who lives among the rural poor in Bangladesh as a Fulbright scholar become the president of one of America's premier evangelical Christian universities? It's the incredible, fascinating story of Dr. Barry Corey, who became the eighth president of Biola University in 2007, the year of Biola's centennial celebration. It's a story of leadership, vision, mentorship centered on Jesus Christ, spreading his message everywhere in the 21st century. We pause to remind you at the beginning of our show, just to, to, to let you know why we have the Good Life Radio Show. It's to bring you closer and closer to Jesus Christ. For you to know, my friend, that whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through right now, that nothing is so daunting, so big, no situation so helpless, that Christ, with his grace and strength and his love for you, cannot bring you through. That's why he died on the cross for your sins. He shed his precious blood on that cross to wash your sins away. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again from the grave in the living Christ today. Today, my friend, calls you to himself. If you don't know him, would you open your heart to Jesus? And dear one, if you already are walking with the Lord, well, it's our prayer, our hope, that you would be built up as you hear the story of Dr. Barry Corey. You see, under Dr. Corey, uh, Biola University's Center for Christian Thought got started. The Center for Christianity, Culture, and the Arts, the annual Imagination Summit event, and Open Biola, which is an online database for free educational content. All that was created. He's overseen the launch of the School of Education and the introduction of online learning. Biola has seen the highest enrollment in the university's 105-year history with construction of new facilities. He received his bachelor's degree in English and and biblical studies from Evangel University, an MA in American Studies, and a PhD from Boston College in Curriculum, Instruction, and Administration. He and his wife Paula have three children, Anders, Ella, and Samuel. Dr. Corey, welcome to our show. Danny, it's great to be on your show, and you are a dear brother, and uh, might I add, one of our outstanding graduates of Biola University. We're so proud of you and the global work that God has called you to and the impact that you're making on countless lives. So it's a blessing to uh, to be with you face-to-face and uh, see firsthand the gifts that God has given you put into use. Thank you, Dr. Corey. Doctor, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in just south of Boston, Massachusetts, a small uh, city, uh, kind of a hard-scrabble place where you know folks were building ships and and working in factories and my father was a of a, a pastor of a downtown church and uh so I grew up in the parsonage my sister me my mom and my dad well having a moment like that in such a 
historic location. What are some of your fondest memories there in your childhood? Well, um, the, one of the great things about uh, our family was we didn't have a whole lot, but what my father proclaimed from the pulpit every Sunday, he lived out in our home. So there was no duplicity, no hypocrisy, a great sense of the love that he proclaimed he lived out, as did my mom. So I, I remember um, Sunday nights in our church, it was uh, a time where people with broken and shattered lives would, uh, a father would call them forward, he'd pray over them at the altar, and it seems like at the uh, every couple of feet across the altar there was a box of Kleenex, and, and, and people were just opening up their hearts to what God was doing in their lives, and I remember my father would lay hands and, and pray Jesus over them and after he preached the word of God to them and and um they um we saw some great things happen in their lives and even though I was probably only five or six years old when my first recollections uh, my father would walk uh, across uh, the floor there and lay his hands on people's heads and pray over them and I'd um step over their kneeled legs and and just trace my father as he as he prayed for them and that was a very uh, that's a that's a very vivid memory tattooed into my mind of, of the uh, the redemptive work of Christ in broken lives that I saw from a very young age firsthand um, unwed mothers and uh, divorced shipbuilders and uh, people whose lives were just falling apart out of jobs out of money out of out of hope uh, would come and and meet the resurrected Christ and find hope. What did God <clears throat> do in your heart as a young boy? What was going on in there? You know, uh, Danny, it was a, um, I think it was a time in my life where uh, I witnessed not only the word of God, but the power of God. Mm. And and maybe I was unusual in that regard as a five or six-year-old seeing that happen in people's lives. But it was also a time where I began uh, to see the world through a lens, I think, unlike my classmates, my um home was often opened up to missionaries. We weren't putting them up in hotels. They were kicking me out of my bed <laughs> and putting the missionaries there, and I'd be sleeping on my parents' floor. But my mother would make a traditional meal of Swedish meatballs and maybe macaroni and cheese, green beans, and bake some homemade pie, and we'd sit around the table with these people that came from Borneo or uh, Papua New Guinea or maybe from sub-Saharan Africa or Eastern Europe, and they'd tell tales not just of what God was doing, but of the people and the music and the art and the culture. And um, it was like um, having a live uh, National Geographic um, show um, around our dinner table, and I began to see that the world was much bigger than that small city of Quincy, Massachusetts. Um, and I began to have not only a um, kind of a desire to... to um, to see the world, but um, a, a desire to maybe even see what God was was doing in the world, even even at a young age. And um, two days ago, I came back from Indonesia, and I reflect upon those early days, the seeds that were planted of the great global commission that God has called us to, but also the wonderful people of God around the world working on his behalf, uh, sharing the good news and hope of Christ. Who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? You know, my parents had a profound impact on my life, um, as did my sister. She was a year and a half older than I was, very strong and uh, willed and, and, and a, a dear-hearted um, person, a good model for me as a younger brother, as just the four of us. Uh, but maybe one of the, um, the memories that I, correct, I, I recollect most vividly is that when, and, and maybe not then in a happy way, but I remember when I was, when I was young, my, 
my father had this um, really uncanny ability to um, make himself receivable to people, strangers, my friends. He used to say that, Barry, any friend of yours is going to be a friend of mine. And I knew it. And I think subconsciously that made me ch- uh, select my friends more carefully. But he would not infrequently have his gas filled up at the gas station and the oil checked. And when he was done, or the the the, the guy fixing his car was done or working on it, he would hug him, this Islamic gas station attendant. Or um, I remember, you know, the stories of him praying across the counter with the man fixing his shoes who maybe didn't believe in God. Or, or um, one time in particular when he was looking for some furniture at a local furniture place when we had moved out to Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, he um, he was talking to the f- Jewish furniture merchant, and he took his face in his hands, and he said, Reuben, I love you, and I don't think this guy saw it coming, and I could have crawled under the couch that was there. I was so mortified that my father would actually do that. Uh, but years later, maybe I'll talk that, about that in a few minutes, but years later, all of that began to um, make sense. Um, that he wasn't doing this to be liked or to embarrass me. He was just living out the profound love of Christ uh, in ways that Matthew 25 called him to. The power of, a, of an example, someone living out mm-hmm. the, the Christian life. Well, what a blessing, Dr. Corey. What a blessing you had in your father. How did you become a Christian? Well, I um, yeah, I think I left my life of sin when I was four years old, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, I remember being, uh, you know, my my depravity continues, I sh- I should say, but I um, I I remember um, hearing the gospel message um, when my father was a guest speaking at a church in Saint John, New Brunswick, Canada, the maritime provinces of that great nation, and um, I was four, he was. Proclaiming the gospel, I was sitting next to my mother in a pew halfway back on the left-hand side of the sanctuary, and you know what he said about turning your life over to Christ. I didn't fully grasp it then, but it seemed to make sense, and something tugged. And I turned to my mother. And I said, "I think that's what I want to do." And I remember to this day vividly that uh, uh, he proclaimed the message, and she walked me through the steps, and um, so it was a tag team of my parents, the mom, uh, mom and dad, and. Um, you know, since then there have been um, there the life's been a journey. You know what I mean? And it's uh, there's the journey's had some great mountaintop experience and some pretty deep valleys. And um, I've uh, uh, fallen many times along the way, and and need to be picked up not by my own merit, not by my own goodness, but by the uh, uh, limitless grace of God that continues to uh, um, remind me of His incomparable love. So you know, I went through. Not like radical rebellious times in my life, but I went through seasons I was pretty cynical about the church, about the way in which Christians are. I've had, you know, deep periods of doubt. Um, and I've had, um, I've been through the, uh, the crucible of some very difficult times that, um, in retrospect, I see how God was present there, though I didn't notice it then. There's nothing quite like hearing someone express the processes of what God has done in their heart throughout the course of their life. Uh, It's a privilege indeed when someone does open up like that because there are gems along the way, lessons, insights, directives, moments of encouragement, certainly inspiration through it all. 
And Dr. Barry Corey is uh, magnanimously gracious in doing just that. And this is just the beginning. There's so much more. There's a, there's a wealth of depth in his experiences, in the way that he has processed, and his articulation of the things that God has done and continues to do. You'll be encouraged as you listen to him throughout our program, speaking heart to heart as we typically do. We'll be back with more from Dr. Barry Corey. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life Aimlessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me I'll lead you all James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors, Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. Please enjoy. Dr. When did you discover the unique leadership gifts God has given you? Well, you know, I, I don't know if I've discovered them yet. Um, I, um, I look back at, at my life and just at, you know, a loving family, a simple home, uh, not a lot of resources. Now, neither of my parents graduated from college. Um, they put a high value on education for me and for my sister and, you know, I appreciated that. Um, but I, um, God blessed me with some incredible mentors in my life. And I really have to credit them that they took a chance on me, though they had nothing to gain, um, for their investment in my life. Bob Cooley, president long time of Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. I'd done a little consulting with him when I was in graduate work in Boston College. Um, and then, uh, after, uh, a year-long journey uh, to kind of discover my own sense of who I am in Christ. I moved to Bangladesh, lived there for a year, and um, separated myself from kind of everything that I knew, everything that was familiar and was in many ways um, a minority for the first time in, in my life um, and lived uh, with, you know, those who are, not even of the same faith that I was. I wasn't there as a missions organization. I was doing some research for a, a large NGO there. But I came back from that year 
that year when I discovered a lot about myself. And I was 29 years old. I had a ponytail. I would lost a lot of weight. I was um, trying to figure out what was next. I knew I had about another year left before I finished my dissertation. And um, I made an appointment with um, Dr. Robert Cooley. I went into his office, and I, I just wanted to know, like, hey, what would you do if you were me? I don't really know where I'm going with my life, and I'm trying to figure out what's next. I was about to get married. Paul and I were engaged. She had just come back from being in China for a year. And, um, you know, he sat me down, and we, he spent two hours with me and uh, just said, here are some options that you have. But then we're about to close. He said, I'll make a deal with you. He said, there's a mid-level position here, a managerial role at Gordon Conwell Seminary in Boston, just north of Boston. He said, if you, if you take this role... Uh, I'll make a deal and I'll mentor you. And I was 29, about to get married, about to turn 30, about to finish my dissertation. And though there were some other options in my life then, I thought, this is what I need. I need someone to invest in me so that professionally um, I can grow and I can develop and I can model myself after someone's leadership. That was in 1991, Danny, and uh, now it is 2014, 23 years later, and uh, Bob Cooley's in his 80s. Um, still, uh, I would say that I was mentored under his tutelage, mm-hmm. and uh, he has formed me and shaped me the way I would think about higher education. So, I, you know, whatever raw stuff that God had given me, um, God used other people to help pull it out. Mm-hmm. And may I go and do likewise? What did, what stands out? What What are maybe one or two highlights that you mm-hmm. can give us a little bit of a, a moment of reflection? on some practical things that mm. that you got from him. Well, a number of a number of things. I mean, he taught me a lot about leadership. And his definition of leadership was this. Leadership is identifying the problem and calling for solution. Sometimes we identify the problems, we don't call for solutions. We just identify the problems and we're quite good at that. Sometimes we're finding solutions for things that aren't the problem. Mm-hmm. And um that has been a um that has been a mantra of his and that I've taken on my own style of leadership. And um, and he's also taught me a lot about what it does it mean to be part of a team. Spending more time on building a community than building a pedestal. And that um, not to take myself too seriously, but to take my role with God-centered seriousness. And um, in that sense, um, I you know, this presidency role that I have at Biola is a sacred trust that God has given me that I am the custodian of. And so it's not anything that I have deserved. It's not any um, position that I should gloat into in, in terms of it being an, an identifying mark with me. It is a sacred trust that God has given me, and uh, I will uh, you know, do my best to uh, honor this calling that God has given me and and build a community and be part of a community where no one person is more important than the other. As Zephaniah says, we work shoulder to shoulder, not mm-hmm. one person more important than the other. And I I just have this very strong sense, Dr. Corey, that that as you said, may I go and do likewise, that that really is your heart. You want to pass that experience on to others now you led the university in its second into the second century of uh, this great ministry, this great institution, uh, with the launching of an ambitious ten-year university plan. 
largest comprehensive fundraising campaign in the school's history. And you entitled it, A Soul of Conviction and a Voice of Courage. Dr. Corey, what, what is, in light of all these, these, these nuggets that are, that are dropping here, what is the what is the heart of uh, the vision that God has given you? Well, that is not um, a throwaway platitude for us. It's not something that we are going like, to slap onto a bumper sticker and say that is uh, that is our slogan du jour. Mm. Uh, we take that line with with deep seriousness, Danny, and um, I I think that. A university that is Christ-centered today and focused on high academic standards and the character formation that happens in students' lives better be about both. Um, many institutions uh, had their origins, colleges and universities, with a deep commitment to the abiding faith of God's Word and the centrality of the resurrected and the exalted Christ. Uh, but over time... Things seem to drift, and institutions never drift towards Christ-centeredness. They only drift away. Mm. And so what does it mean to be a university with, a, with, with a deep conviction, a university with a soul? Harry Lewis was the dean at Harvard University for a number of years, and he wrote a book called Education Without a Soul. And he says, what does it mean when, when we lose this coherent understanding of what we are all about? And then we become fragmented, disjointed unable to have a common view of what the ideal graduate looks like. That sense of conviction is deep in the uh, the heart of Bible University. It wasn't something that I had to recall the institution toward. It's been part of the fiber of this institution since 1908 when we were founded. And thanks to many godly women and men over the years who were strong academics and able trustees and capable administrators, this school has maintained that strong sense of conviction. But sometimes institutions can be so concerned that they, they're going to lose their, their moorings that they are irrelevant to the rest of the world. And that sense of courage in who we are, that is taking on new responsibility, thinking globally, embracing the digital revolution, having new opportunities for our students, looking at how the careers are developing over the years, and making sure our students are not just prepared for their career after they graduate, but for their career 20 years from now. How are we thinking courageously about that? And I've, I've often said that you need both conviction and courage, because conviction without courage goes nowhere. And courage without conviction goes anywhere. Mm. But conviction with courage goes somewhere, and that somewhere for us is equipping our students in mind and character to make a difference in this world for the cause of Christ. Courage and conviction is stated very clearly. And it, it does grab hold of, a, of the very soul of a person. What are we really made of? Uh, why do we do what we do? Why do we hold back? Why do we hesitate uh, when we do? You know, These are the sentiments of a man who has been deeply grounded in the Word of God, Clearly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in following him as a, as a faithful disciple. And at the same time, elevated to a point of leadership, a platform given to create and develop a culture in a university called Biola. Biola University. Uh, premier opportunity. 
premier institution where Christ is a center, the Bible is foundational, but relevance, relevance in society is at the forefront in the various programs that exist there. In fact, to find out more about Biola, go to biola.edu. When we come back, you'll hear more from Dr. Barry Corey, the president of Biola University. On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. Please enjoy. As you may know or may have heard of uh, my, my fall from the, the Pali Ridge here in Hawaii, and I was so badly damaged as a result of that. And my head injury was so severe, but Biola, by the grace of God, embraced me, and I was put in a position, in a place where uh, Biola had been a formidable, played a formidable role in the formation of my uh, the foundational development in my relationship with, with the Lord and the preparation for ministry, the biblical worldview that I, that I have today that God uses and the stalwart leadership at that time. It was, uh, Dr. Clyde Cook as the president. Today, Dr. Barry Corey, uh, president as he speaks, you can hear the lucidity of his, of, of, of his voice, but emanating from the clear convictions and yet the relatability to society today that causes Biola to be relevant, relevant as never before. Uh, Biola University is where this interview is taking place. They're at, in La Mirada, California. You're listening to the Good Life Hawaii Radio Show. I'm Danny Yamashiro. To find out more about this program, maybe you're tuning in right now, go to thegoodlifehawaii.com. You can get this program in its entirety for free. And to find out more about Biola, Visit biola.edu. And now, here's more with Dr. Barry Corey, president of Biola University. A conviction with courage goes somewhere, and that somewhere for us is equipping our students in mind and character to make a difference in this world for the cause of Christ. We live in a pluralistic society, and so all the more the challenge of a, of a courageous uh, institution, a university with conviction that hasn't lost... It's moorings. When you look at 
a Biola student? What do you see? Yeah, I see. Uh, I see students with huge hearts that are more interested in, in making a difference than making a million. I see students who uh, are idealists in the highest sense of the world word. I see students who are wanting to work with each other. I see students who are humble in their spirit and not wanting to put on steel-toed shoes to kick Jesus into the culture or the heresy out of their sister or their brother, but want to walk barefoot the very position Jesus' disciples took when he said, take off your shoes, I'm going to wash your feet, and you go and do likewise. I think our world needs uh, that deep sense of conviction for our students, but what I call a firm center but soft edges. I'm sure other people call that as well. Um, and I think that's what, that's what I, that's what I want to see in our students. And that's part of the refining, transforming educational process. We want our students to be articulate, to be good thinkers, to be good writers, to be courageous decision makers, to be able to look into complex issues and draw out some very cogent, uh, understanding. Uh, we want to prepare them truly in mind and character, to be ethical, to be, to have a moral fiber to who they are, but not to be combative. Not to be more what they were against, but more what they're for. Um, not in a way, though, that they capitulate and they become relativistic, but that they stand strong in who they are, but the world sees in them something different. What Paul refers to as the aroma of Christ. He says, to some it's the smell of life, to some it's the smell of death, but you are to smell like Jesus. And this actually, if, if you don't mind, this kind of ties back to some of my earlier lessons in life, when I told you about my father hugging the Islamic gas station attendant or holding Ruben's hand, the Jewish furniture merchant, mm-hmm. his face in his hand and saying he loves you. Um, when I was spending that year in Bangladesh, my, my father actually came by and he visited for a few days. He was in India going to Singapore and visiting some missionaries. And one particular morning, uh, we were walking around these the streets of Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh. It was during the first Gulf War. We were told to kind of lay low and be curfew because it's primarily an Islamic country. And um, as we walked through these kind of crowded and dirty streets, um, he said, there's something I haven't been able to kind of figure quite out in terms of this one passage where, where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And what he says, you know, if you, you want to be my sub, you pick up your cross and you follow me. But he said immediately after he said that, he turns to his disciples in Matthew 10, chapter 40, excuse me, Matthew 10, verse 40. And he says to his disciples, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. He said, all I know is I need to make myself receivable to those that God places in my path. For how will they know the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unless they receive me? He said, "I, I haven't really figured it all out theologically, but I know that this is my mandate as a follower of Christ. My father knew very little about football. He wasn't an athlete, didn't follow sports, but he was truly a wide receiver mm. in that regard. Mm-hmm. And that is um, an image that I want for this university, that we are known as a place that people w- want to be around Biola, and not because we're trying to be all things to all people, but because we're firm in what we believe, but we, we do so in, in a winsome, ironic, loving way. I want our students to be that way. We have a great film program here, Annie, as you know, at Biola. And, uh, you know, our students who graduate, many of them go into industry. And they're working with major, you know, motion picture houses and uh, involved in the, in the film uh, business in Hollywood. And and 
and and I want them to and they are going in there and and uh and not trimming their sails to prevailing winds and being whatever the, the that that culture wants them to be but yet not throwing stones either going in there with with all of their wisdom and their bright articulate honest hard working community building team sensitive graduates who can go there and and live out their faith in a redemptive way it's what isaiah calls us to be repairs of the breach restorers of the broken walls restorers of the streets on which people dwell i want i want this to be a redemptive place where we want to see things the way god wanted them to be in his created order and we're part of that dr core you speak with the eloquence and articulate with such depth and Obviously, for you to be able to do that, um, certainly a, a gift, a gift from the Lord, a gift to the university. But with that, there's got to be lakes, there's got to be infrastructure, there's got to be roots. And so, initiatives to bring that about, to, to elicit those quality, those characters, and to cultivate that uh, in the students. What are some of the current initiatives that Biola University is uh, focusing on and developing at this time? Um, well, there, 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 are, there are areas that we really want to do well. And I think if, if we can do some of these areas um, better and better, I think we are going to continue to be the strong university that the founders envisioned back in 1908 on the corner of 6th and Hope Street in downtown Los Angeles. One is that we believe that, that God's word still matters today. So we want to be a leader in biblical integration. All of our students take 30 credit hours in biblical studies or theology. We think about the truth of God's words as it transcends our curriculum. So we've been thinking of new ways of doing that. We've been doing some online courses that uh, that kind of help students understand the the the, um, the truthfulness of God's word in a very academic way. We we're um, launching some new liberal arts programs online that allow students maybe in a more affordable way to come to Biola by taking some classes ahead of time. Um, we want to continue to attract and retain the best and brightest scholars. I interview every finalist of a faculty position for a full-time role, and and I'm students, I mean, excuse me, faculty members that are coming to my office for interviews, they're, um, they're doing their doctoral work at, at Cornell or Stanford or um, Cambridge or Oxford or, or Georgetown or Notre Dame, what, what, and they could go a lot of different places, but they've chosen to come to Biola because they don't have to bifurcate their faith and their mm-hmm. intellect. Mm-hmm. They said they can live that out together. And so this this whole um, um, mention that you had of the Center for Christian Thought, uh, $3 million grant from the Templeton Foundation in Philadelphia to help us bring about the uh, uh, collection of some of the world's great Christian thinkers to grapple with the big issues of the day, uh, not in a trite, light way, but in a very thoughtful, reflective way, because we believe that God is the author of all ideas, and so we should be able to have a voice at that at that table. Uh, we're putting a big emphasis on the arts now. Uh, we had a year of the arts several years ago, and we recently got some significant funding to establish a Center for Christianity, Culture, and the Arts. And you know, we need to be leaders as Christians in the world of the imagination and in, in performing arts and visual arts and media arts. Um, there's, this is, uh, we're in L.A., we're in the, you know, if, if New York is the kind of the epicenter of finance and Washington is the epicenter of power, this is the epicenter of the imagination. So here we are. Um, 
starting in downtown L.A. and now in metropolitan Los Angeles. And what a place for students to be able to come as a psychology majors or pre-med majors or art majors or, you know, philosophy or marketing or accounting or education or theology, whatever. I mean, this is a place where good minds come together, 6,323 students, and you're in Los Angeles with incredible experiences to for internships and vocation and and service and rolling up your sleeves for um, the cause of Christ. I mean, it's, it's, it's an exciting place to be. If you've ever had a sense, maybe an impression, uh, some movement within your own heart and your spirit that God was uh, preparing to do something in you, maybe in the life of your child, you sense that God has a distinct, uh, you know, God has a distinct plan and purpose, but there's a gap. You don't know how... How, how do you get from here to there? Could it be that uh, Biola University is a place where God will mold your son, your daughter, your grandson or granddaughter, maybe a nephew or niece, uh, maybe a word needs to be shared with them, maybe within your own heart. The Lord says, hey, I've got something there for you where uh, I'm going to cultivate and bring out certain aspects of your gifting because they are honed in a place like that, rooted in Christ, in the centrality of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, grounded in Scripture, but relevant, connectable, relatable, and desirable, where people can relate with, and God will use you, your son, your daughter, a relative, to reach others with the love of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Dr. Barry Corey will be back with more about Biola University. Wandering the road of desperate life Aimlessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me This is Danny Yamashiro. Don Pick Benson wrote, When I was growing up, my dad was a farmer, not a Christian. He had little interest in faith having been told by his father that the Bible was a fairy tale. But then a local pastor took an interest in my dad, asking if he could help plow the fields on the weekend. That one act of service spoke louder than words ever could to my dad. By his actions, the pastor made my dad feel loved, and that did more than any preaching could have. He didn't need convincing about the theological correctness of the Bible. He needed to feel God's love for him. This pastor met that need in a practical way, and that's evangelism. For more inspiration on evangelism, go to drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. Please enjoy. I'm shaking and nodding my head, and I'm yes, you are. I'm, I'm revving up with excitement, <laughs> even as you speak, Doctor Corey. As a leader, 
a leader of leaders. You know, the, the plethora of responsibilities that, that press in on you. It's hard to imagine what, what you have to balance. But how do you balance family life with the demands of your presidency? Yeah, well, no one's asked me to write a book about that, thankfully. <laughs> and I could probably turn the microphone and ask you for some advice. Um, my wife, Paula, and I have been married for 22 years. And um, God has blessed us with these three incredible children. Our son, Anders, is 20. He's a junior here at Bile University. We have a daughter who's a senior in high school and a son who's a freshman in high school. And and um, when, I, when I came out here, uh, the board of trustees that called me to this role and they hadn't had a new president in 25 years. And our children were 8, 11, and 14 when we hauled our family from one corner of the country to the other, from Boston to L.A., from sea to shining sea. And, and when I came out here, they said, you know what, we, we, we know you're going to you know work hard in, in the role of the president. Um, but if you don't work hard in your role as a father and as a husband, as a follower of Christ, we don't really want you here. And so I'm so thankful for a, a great board at Biola that has given me permission to um, be a dad and a husband, and to do what I can to cultivate my my own heart and my own soul in this role. And um, so Paul and I have to work at it. It takes a lot of time. And I'll probably have many years that I can be a college leader, but I don't have many years that I can be a father to teenage children. So I these years are going by. And and um, so we we travel together as a family. We try to carve out times in the in the summer just to, to be with each other. Um, uh, we, we love our children and they're patient with us, especially me, uh, with a busy schedule and, um, uh, but, but God's favor has been on our household and we're so thankful for it. And I feel like there's so much Paula has done more than I have, have done as a, as a parent, but, um, we're in this thing together and we love each other. There's a... <clears throat> There's, there's this grounded authenticity about you, Dr. Corey, that, that, that it's, it's magnetic, it's engaging. I think it's, you know, like when you talk about how you talk about Christ in, in, in the world in which we live, that, in, that reality, the, the truth, being real. I remember that the first time we met, when you first... Uh, you know, came in as president, and you like baseball, don't you? <laughs> I love baseball. I love Boston Red Sox. You love the Red Sox? I do. I don't know if I've, I've lost some of your listeners. I apologize if I have. <laughs> love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute hey, you. But we're, we're being real, aren't we? We're being real. We're being Come real. Come on. Uh, reflect back with me. Share a little bit about something you did with your, with your son uh, with relation to baseball parks and baseball games. Mm. Well, I th if this is what you're talking about, when we decide to, that this is where God has called us to be and we're going to uproot our family and move to California, uh, the romantic that I was, I've said, you know, hey, let's, let's go as a family. Let's drive cross, cross country and let's, let's, let's see the, uh, the country and experience this new land of California one state at a time as we work our way westward. Mm. My wife, Paula, pointed out a logistical problem. She said, well, you know, Barry, we've just given away our van to some missionaries, and we have a small sedan, and it's going to be pretty tight 
with me and you and Ella and Anders and Sam and our dog. And so she said, I think, um, I think, we, you know, if you want to drive, that's okay, but I think we, we should fly. So Ella, our daughter, who was 11 then, she agreed with Paula. She said, I'm going to fly. And when Sam realized it was going to be seven or eight days in the car, he decided that he didn't want to, he didn't want to drive either. But I could see a crack in our 14 year old son, Anders. Um, and I said, Anders, how about if, um, you and I drive country, drive cross country together? He said, I'm not so sure, dad, but I knew one word might be able to convince him that word was baseball. Mm. I said, he was a huge baseball fan. I said, you know, how about if you and I, father, son, go coast to coast, drive cross country and see baseball parks along the way? He said, well, okay, dad, let's go for it. I said, and you pick, if you want to go across the top of the country, that's where we find the home games, you know, through Pittsburgh and, you know, Chicago, Minneapolis, or the middle of the country through, you know, whatever, St. Louis and Kansas City and Denver or the bottom of the country, whatever, you, you, you will drive that way. So he got online and I gave him my credit card with a range. That was probably my first mistake. And he bought tickets and started in Boston, went down through New York, went to wow. Washington, D.C., down to Charlotte, saw a minor league game there, the, Charlotte Knights down to Atlanta, all the way across to see the um, Albuquerque Isotopes, and we. Um, my part of the deal though was if we're going to see baseball games, we're also going to only eat in fa- uh, local restaurants. No fast food, no chains, no franchise. We're going to see coast to coast America through, you know, greasy diners and neighborhood cafes and and little uh, mom and pop restaurants, and and so that um, that trip was a great trip. We every time we went through a new state, we'd pull out the camera and he'd take a picture. You know, welcome to. Louisiana, welcome to Texas, welcome to New Mexico, welcome to Arizona. And um, we'd talk and enjoy our time and do crazy stuff. And I'd tell stories at all of those local restaurants. This is my son, Andrews, and me. We're going cross-country, got a new job in California, we're driving coast-to-coast, father and son. And I even told that to the uh, Texas state trooper that pulled me over. And he said, you're a little bit fast. I said, I know, Andrew. It's my son, Andrews, going coast-to-coast, father, son, got a new job in California. He said, okay, next time you're driving through Wichita Falls, Texas, don't drive so fast. And, uh-huh. and I haven't been through Wichita Falls, Texas since. But <clears throat> but uh, when we got into California, crossing the Colorado River um, into Needles, California, in August of 2007, and, and it felt like Needles. Um, and I said, Anders, get out the camera. It says, welcome to California. He took a picture, and I turned to say something to him about a mile later, and he was crying. He said, Dad, turn around take me home. You've just uprooted me from my family, from everything I know, our neighborhood, our little cul-de-sac where I play with all my friends, to this new place and all this talk about California, new job, coast to coast. I don't want to go. I want to go back. And um, thankfully, the Red Sox were in Anaheim that night, and we so we kept on driving and saw them that night and the next night. But um, that actually became a bit of a metaphor for me, that life's a journey, and sometimes we want to go back. And but we got to keep going, and I found this wonderful phrase in Hebrews 11, where it said um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob they they set out, and they lived their life intense. And I sometimes I say like life is intense. It said they set out not knowing where they were going. And I think the Bible gives us permission at times. It's okay if we don't know where we're going because if you go forward a few verses, it said but they knew what they were looking for. They had their eyes sit on a fixed on a city which had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Or as the next chapter begins, it says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so um, we honestly, when we came out here, Danny, it was, everything was new. This is a job way bigger 
than anything that I'd ever done. Our life was full of uncertainties. We had no idea if we were going to sell our house back in Boston, if our kids would make new friends, if they would lose their faith, if I'd be able to handle this job, if our marriage would handle it, you know, what it would be like living in 78-degree weather all year, and, you know, what we're going to do with our snow shovels, all these uncertainties <laughs> in our life. But um, through that passage, really, where it said Abraham was called, and when he was called, he went, even though he did not know where he was going, that in these uncertainties in our life, um, God's taken us on a journey, and he says elsewhere, he makes the road straight. He makes sense of it all, even though you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and you're uncertain about the future. And in our way of thinking, we'll just close to this point, in our way of thinking, when we face uncertainties, our natural inclination is to address our uncertainties by saying, I want certainty. And certainty means I know what's going to happen tomorrow, and I don't. But in God's economy, the antidote to uncertainty is not certainty, it's confidence. And there's a world of difference between certainty and confidence. Certainty means I know what's going to happen tomorrow, and I don't. Confidence, which comes from the Latin con with fides, faith, we live by faith, not by sight, means I trust what will happen tomorrow. That's why Paul can say in Philippians 1, 6, be confident, be con with Fidel's faith of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say be certain of that. He said be confident, live by faith of this one thing. And, you know, life is a journey. And, and our journey is going to have lots of surprises in it, stuff we didn't plan for. And if we try to fix everything when we have these uncertainties by desiring a sense of certainty of knowing how it's going to all turn out, um, then God says we're looking at it the wrong way. Dr. Corey, someone's listening that they're peering in because they something has grabbed them, grabbed their heart, touched them, moved them, but they don't know God. They've never accepted Christ, at least not yet. What would you say to them? Well, you know, I, I can't help but return to the comments that I was just making. And um, God knows the beginning from the end. And we sometimes feel like our our mistakes are too big, our sin is too great, our past is too rocky that and our future is too uncertain like how how am gonna how am I gonna make it through the next day, or the opposite is that you know we think we've got it all figured out that we're we're king of the world and and we've got everything under control. I think it was Lloyd Ogilvy that says the eight said the eight most dangerous words of the English language were that I've got to get control of my life. I um, mean, in the way God has, we we gain control by relinquishing control, allowing ourselves to to decrease so that Christ might might increase. And as we err on either of those sides, either um, my my stuff is too messy for God to ever love me, or I I'm so in control of things that I don't need God, um, then we put ourselves in that place where uh, our uncertainties don't have the right answer. And God has called us to understand, to live in confidence because of his incredible love, his gracious love, that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us less. His receivable love. You know, when I talk about he who receives, you receive me. I mean, we were received by Christ, not on our own merits, but just because of his profound love for us. His forgiving grace, that there's nothing, or his forgiving love, that there's nothing that 
we have done in the past. No sin too big, no issue too, um, no, no challenge too incomprehensible for God to be able to, to forgive us for. But also his demanding love. Dr. Corey, could you pray? Would you pray, mm-hmm. please? As, as, as someone hears that, they're, they're being uh, moved, they're, they're encouraged, someone's being inspired, someone's even ready to open their heart to Jesus. Doctor, could you pray? Lord, your love is so amazing. Remind us that your grace means that there's nothing that we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make you love us less. Um, that that grace is so amazing that it came to us in the form of your Son and our Savior who died on the cross uh, for our sins. Lord, this is the gospel. This is the great gift that you have given to us, that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die on our behalf so that we would have eternal life, not that starts when we die, but that starts today, that rich, abundant life in Christ. It doesn't mean a life um, free from the bumps in the road, but it means a life that is being walked uh, with you as as our Savior, as our Redeemer. Lord, whoever is uh, listening uh, today, I pray that through the prompting of your Spirit, that hard hearts would soften, that irreconciled relationships would be healed, that unforgiveness would begin to melt and turn into a God-shaped forgiveness, that pain that is deep would be transformed by the peace of Christ, and that you who are abundantly able would do a deep work in our lives, not so that we can say, hey, look who I am now, but that we can say, look who you are, the King of glory, the one to whom all dominion and power and authority belongs. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Corey, what a privilege it's been to spend this time with you. Thank you for being so gracious in in being here with us. You've been a blessing indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Inspiring words from Dr. Barry Corey, biola.edu. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, look, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Go to drdanny.live for next steps and resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. Proverbs 16.16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Barry Corey, biola.edu. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life 
with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.